In the name of one God who creates, redeems, and sustains us. Clearly, I drew the short straw, having to preach the Sunday following the Reverend Dr. Mark Jefferson. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but here goes anyway. <laughs> Today's gospel reading reminds me of a famous story. Roaming by the mountainside at sundown, a wolf saw his own shadow become greatly extended and magnified. He said to himself, why should I, being of such an immense size and extending nearly an acre in length, be afraid of the lion? Ought I not to be acknowledged as king of all the collected beasts? While he was indulging in these thoughts, a lion fell upon him and killed him. He exclaimed with a too late repentance, worthless me, this overestimation of myself is the cause of my destruction. Like the wolf in Aesop's fable, humility is not exactly James and John's highest attribute. It has been surmised that their bold and brash demand in this gospel lesson might be one of the reasons Jesus nicknamed them the sons of thunder. And like the wolf misinterpreting what he sees, at first glance, James and John seem to misinterpret what they had just heard. There's a valid argument for thinking that they are a little bit dense. Because for the third time, Jesus explains to his disciples in very plain, graphic language what is about to happen to him. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit upon him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. Now, even though Jesus has a bad habit of speaking in the third person, that's my personal humble opinion, the sons of thunder knew Jesus was talking about himself. That was no mystery. They certainly did not fully understand the ramifications of following Jesus to Jerusalem, but they did understand that Jesus was unique, powerful, perhaps even indestructible, and worth changing their whole life to follow. That was no mystery. The real mystery for James and John was how, in all their fear and anxiety of what the future would hold for them, how they were going to keep their secure positions as two of Jesus' top three wolves, how they were going to continue to hold a place of honor. James and John are not unique in falling into this trap. Driving their need for recognition and prestige is a deep fear that stems from our human condition. That part of us that has a stubborn tendency to always strive to put ourselves in the center, to put ourselves first, 
Father Thomas Keating states that when that place at the center is threatened, our emotional programs for happiness kick into overdrive. Our need for security and survival, power and control, or affection and esteem show up in less than mature demands or actions, or far worse. Look no further than the headlines. College admission scandals galore. Failure to report income and pay employment taxes. Employees trapped in jobs where warehouses reach close to 100 degrees with no relief. Folks spreading themselves incredibly thin to buy a house that used to be half the price, while at the same time, people who own those houses can't afford to live there anymore. In the Hebrew scripture, thunder is sometimes symbolic of the voice and power of God. When Jesus says, what is it you want me to do for you? He is talking to James and John, and he is talking to us. He knows full well the hearts and minds of the sons and daughters of thunder. He knows our need for recognition as kings and queens of the beasts, to be the A number one disciples. He knows what we have given up to follow him. He knows we are grappling with our emotional programs for happiness. He knows our shortcomings as well as our potential. Notice how gentle and loving Jesus is. Notice how non-anxiously he speaks, as if he is once again holding little children in his arms and blessing them. And notice that Jesus totally turns any expectations that we somehow deserve a special place of honor. He turns that all upside down. In her book, Humility Matters for Practicing the Spiritual Life, Benedictine sister Mary Margaret Funk reminds us that humility is the core of our experience of life in Christ. So central is this quality of being that it may be said that humility is for a Christian what enlightenment is for a Buddhist, realization is for a Hindu, sincerity is for a Confucian, Righteousness is for a Jew, surrender is for a Muslim, and annihilation is for a Sufi. Humility is what others see of our purity of heart. In our gospel today, Jesus instructs us that we are to cultivate in ourselves and in our community a quality of being that reflects our purity of heart, our humility, rather than our deservedness. It does not happen without our attention and efforts. It has to be nurtured through prayer, soaking in the beauty of God's creation, self-examination into our real motivations, boldly seeking to see our shadow side as it really is, and especially through meditation and contemplation, 
such as centering prayer. Notice, too, that Jesus does not strip James and John or any of us from our identity as the sons and daughters of thunder, representatives of the voice and power of God. To be the truly powerful sons and daughters of thunder does not mean that we minimize or deny or hide our desires, our gifts, our curiosity, our creativity. On the contrary, we are told not to put our light under a bushel basket, but to put it on the lampstand where it can give light to the whole house. What God does require of us is authenticity, a true state of being rooted in Christ and not in our own egos. Jesus assures us that we do have the capacity to be a unique and powerful force of change in the world. Compassionate truth seekers, bridge builders, problem solvers, we're invited to engage the source of all wisdom to dismantle our emotional programs for happiness and to develop true humility where we allow ourselves to be converted over and over again to God's way, not our own way, to tame the wolf within. Amen.